0: Common Law Wives and Concubines Essays on Covenantal Christianity and Contemporary Western Culture Stephen C. Perks This is a Reconstructionist Radio Production with LRNTeach.com Please visit kuiper.org forward slash books to download or purchase this book. Common Law Wives and Concubines Essays on Covenantal Christianity and Contemporary Western Culture Stephen C. Perks 2010. Kuiper Foundation, Taunton, England. Narrated by Nathan Conkey. Chapter 6. Censorship. Some years ago, the retiring chairman of the British Board of Film Censors stated on a Radio 4 interview that, quote, there are no subjects which are off-limits or taboo. It is only the way in which they are treated which may result in censorship, End quote. This comment was used to justify the granting of a certificate to allow the distribution of a film whose subject matter was necrophilia. What are Christians to make of this statement? Was he right? My answer to this is that there are no subjects that are off-limits to the Christian in his attempts to come to a correct understanding of the world in which he lives. That is, the Christian has to be able to assess all things from a Christian point of view. This means that he must be able to think about all things from a Christian perspective, a Christian worldview, even those things with which he disagrees and that he believes to be utterly immoral. For example, homosexual practices and paedophilia are immoral and forbidden. But the Christian must come to a proper understanding of these things, And this means that he must think through these issues in order to determine the correct Christian response, especially in an age of moral delinquency such as our own is. And the Christian has to be able to articulate and explain the correct Christian response to non-believers as part of his witness to the faith. Cinema films and television programmes are forms of art, but art also communicates a message. And these media are very effective means of communication. In an age like the present, when so many people are unwilling to go to church and listen to the preaching of the gospel, the Christian artist and dramatist may be able to communicate the Christian message regarding such things to non-believers much more effectively than the preacher, at least as the first point of contact. But in order to do that, he has to deal with the issues. In this sense, therefore, we must agree with what the censor said, but this does not mean that we should necessarily condone what he would condone. The question is quote, what is the message being put over by this drama? End quote. This goes not only for the vile things we see on television and on the cinema screens but also for the seemingly harmless things. It is a question that is as pertinent to the Blue Peter programme as it is to the sexual immorality and violence portrayed on television. Christians often get indignant about the graphic portrayal of sex and violence in the media, and complain, but fail to see the real problem entirely, namely the non-Christian worldview that underpins such dramas. They complain about television programs and movies being shown at the cinema, but send their children to schools that indoctrinate their children into the very same worldview that produces such dramas in the first place? Secular humanism. This is the real problem. The most damaging programs are those that convey the message of secular humanism subliminally, not those that convey it obviously, because people do not really see the programs that convey the message subliminally for what they are, namely Propaganda for Secular Humanism If God is dead and there is no meaning to life except what one makes for oneself what one imposes on one's own life then sexual immorality and gratuitous violence will be the inevitable consequences since men are slaves to sin until they find their true purpose in life in serving God If I choose my own meaning and purpose for life if I am the centre of the world and all things exist for me, if, quote, the world is my idea, end quote, to use the words of Schopenhauer, then all that we see in the media today in terms of mindless violence and the selfish abuse and mistreatment of people by each other will inevitably follow. Merely complaining about the depiction of mindless violence and sexual immorality without getting to the real cause of the problem, the kind of worldview that produces such entertainment and, of course, the realities of modern life that such entertainment depicts, is not enough. Not only is such a superficial approach an insufficient answer for the problem facing our culture today, it is part of the problem itself because it fails to challenge sin in the human heart and therefore condones, unwittingly, the sinful attitude itself, the idolatry of the human heart, while condemning only certain expressions of such a sinful attitude. Christians condemn the sinful effects of human rebellion against God, and rightly so, but often fail to condemn the attitude, the disposition of the heart, the worldview or mindset that produces these sinful effects. This attitude of the heart is not merely a question of feelings and passions. It is an intellectual attitude and an attitude of will just as much as an attitude that affects the passions and desires. The term heart is here used in the biblical sense to indicate the soul or religious centre, the mind, the essential nature of man. The attitude of man's heart affects the whole of his culture, not merely his sexual appetites, lust for vengeance, etc. It affects his view of the meaning and purpose of life, and therefore informs and controls his whole view of life generally. Christians must be careful not to get into a mode of thinking in which they merely wish to clean up secular humanism. This is the danger of much Christian thinking on these issues. There is a difference between being a Christian and merely being prudish. Children's television can be as degrading and immoral as adult television. And I'm not thinking here of the obvious candidates but those programs that parents often think are good, wholesome programs. Though the graphic portrayal of violence and sex may not be there, this does not mean that the corrupting message of secular humanism is not there, that that children are not being encouraged to see the world and everything in it from a purely self-centred point of view and to see the world as a godless place. It is the philosophy or worldview underpinning the drama that is at question, What is the message? Does the message glorify God or man? A children's television programme can be just as degrading in its own way as one of these nasty and perverted movies about sex and violence. And because the degradation of children's programme is not as easy to see, it is actually more dangerous in the long run. The same argument applies to the kind of worldview. In terms of which education takes place at school and university, facts are never presented or taught on their own. They are taught as part of an overall worldview, a particular theory of knowledge and understanding of life, its origin, meaning and purpose. Those who teach may not be conscious of the way in which their religious attitude of heart affects what they teach, but it will affect their teaching subliminally nonetheless. If their attitude of heart denies God and worships the creature instead of the creator, this will be reflected in the kind of worldview they embrace and therefore this attitude of heart will colour everything they see and everything they teach. It is not only the overtly religious aspect of education that will be coloured by this attitude of idolatry, but the maths lesson, the history lesson, the biology lesson, the science lesson, the whole curriculum will be subject to this worldview. It is not the facts taught that are the problem, but the theory, the worldview, in terms of which the facts are understood. For Christians, therefore, the real problem is not X-rated movies. It is rather the fact that they send their children to be educated by those who believe and teach the God-denying worldview of secular humanism. How will God see this? Christians may stand outside the cinema protesting against some X-rated movie or write to the BBC about the depiction of some sexual activity on the television, but if they then send their children to be educated in terms of the very same worldview that produces such movies, then they are no better than those they are complaining about. Perhaps even worse, they are hypocrites. Unfortunately, this is precisely what much Christian lobbying is about cleaning up secular humanism. But when all the graphic section of violence has gone from the television screen, the perverted and degrading philosophy of secular humanism remains and continues to contaminate the education of the youth because it is this same philosophy that underpins the worldview that children imbibe in the secular schools. Unless Christians are committed to living differently themselves, which includes providing an education for their children that does not revolve around this secular humanistic worldview, any gains from such protestations outside cinemas or petitions sent to politicians will be short-lived because the cause has not been dealt with. All that has happened is perhaps that these symptoms have been repressed for a short while, but the cancer remains and continues to produce its consequences in the next generation. Merely cleaning up secular humanism, whether in the cinema, on the television screen, or in the schools, is not enough. Christians need to have Christian answers, Christian alternatives to secular humanisms, culture of death. The flip side of pietism, ironically, is that much of life is not redeemed, but left as it is. Christians run away from the world instead of redeeming it. But where they have not redeemed it, they have then become thoroughly subject to it. A sort of schizophrenia seems to have got hold of much of the church. The population must not be permitted to watch the sex and violence that rebellion against God produces, but one may send one's children to be educated into the worldview that brings forth such rebellion. Such is the implicit message of much Christian lobbying for censorship. In fact, the Bible gives us some very gruesome, violent and sexually immoral stories. Stories about incest, homosexual acts, ritual sacrifice of children, etc. One story particularly that I have always found utterly gruesome, utterly nasty, is the story of the Levite who caught up his concubine, who had been ripped to death by the men of Gibeah into 12 pieces, and sent a piece to each of the leaders of the tribes of Israel. With the result that all Israel made war on the tribe of Benjamin, Judges chapters 19-20, to and many more such horrific stories are related in the Bible. The Bible is not a prudish book, and those who are intent on boilerizing the Bible do themselves and their fellow men a great disservice. If God has revealed himself in a particular way, There must be a purpose to it. If we soften that revelation in translation, which often happens because modern translators find the Bible too coarse or graphic or insufficiently poetic, there will be an inevitable knock-on effect in our understanding of who God is. Because in the Bible, God reveals himself to man. Such softening of the biblical message will change our view of God. God's revelation is corrupted by such prudish translations. This is a form of liberalism because it panders to man's desires, to what he wants to hear, not what God says. Pietism has been one of the results of such softening of the Bible's message, and in turn has become a major cause of the effeminate type of Christianity that is popular today. Pietism has vitiated the gospel in an age when the truth needs to be heard clearly. The Bible is very graphic in its depiction of man's sin and very hard in the message it conveys to sinners. No subject is taboo in God's word. It speaks to man's situation. It is realistic in its portrayal of mankind in the state of slavery to sin. But the Bible is never gratuitous there is always a moral purpose to its depiction of man's sin. This is not the case with the modern depiction of sex, violence or other gruesome things in the cinema and on television. Violent acts and acts of sexual chaos are depicted gratuitously and there is a serious message underpinning the portrayal of such gratuitous violence and sexual chaos. What such dramas are saying in effect is There is no God. Men can kill rape, and torture with immunity. The only thing one can do is to murder, rape, and torture back. This is a godless world. There is no meaning except one's own self-fulfillment and happiness. End quote. But this is an immoral message, whether it is conveyed by graphic images of violence and sexual perversion, or whether it is conveyed sublimely by Blue Peter, children's television programme on evolution. The Bible, and therefore Christian drama that is glorifying to God, will deal with the same subjects, but say instead, quote, There is a God who is just, and he does not wink at sin. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. God will recompense. The only deliverance for man from his state of degradation is faith in Jesus Christ. Quote. I am not saying that this message will be an overt message in the drama as it would be in a sermon on the same subject. It may well be very subliminal, and surely that is what art is about to a great extent, but it may well be far more effective because it is subliminal, but that is the message. Therefore, the Christian dramatist, artist, not only may, but surely must, deal with these things. How such things are depicted is another thing, If the depiction of these things means that those involved in performing the drama have to sin, then obviously this is not acceptable to the Christian dramatist. Some would say this restricts the artist, but surely art is also about craftsmanship, creativity and invention. Art is not merely a message. It is a message that is creatively packaged to heighten its poignancy. If the artist-slash-dramatist cannot put his message over without recourse to sinning. Then he is only saying he is a poor artist. The Christian message about homosexual practices being immoral can be put across without having to show two men performing a homosexual act. If the dramatist says it is necessary for him to have the actors do this immoral thing or simulate it, all he is saying is that he lacks the creativity as an artist to convey his message effectively through his art. Nevertheless, much overt Christian art today is rather sickly sweet and unrealistic. Art and drama surely must deal with the reality of life, not run away from it. But it must deal with it from a Christian perspective. If there is nothing to redeem, then Christianity has nothing to say. It is irrelevant. But if there is no redemption either, likewise, Christianity becomes irrelevant. This is as true for the Christian artist and the Christian dramatist as it is for the clergyman, the missionary et al. The Christian artist must practice his art redemptively. Indeed, we must all live redemptively. Our calling is to take the things of this world and to elevate them to a higher state than they were in when we found them. This is the job of the artist consummately. It is. The world that must be redeemed, but it must be redeemed for the Christian artist or dramatist to neglect either side of this equation, is to fail in his calling as an artist. The task of living redemptively in this way embraces the whole of man's culture. There are no areas that are off-limits to the Christian dramatist, the Christian artist, because there are no areas where sin has not corrupted the life of man. Man is totally depraved until he is touched by the grace of God and there are no areas that are off-limits to God's grace. The redemption that Christ has purchased by his blood covers the whole of human life and culture. Man is also saved totally by God's grace. There are no areas of human life that are off-limits to the gospel. Therefore, There are no areas that are off-limits to the Christian artist or the Christian dramatist. His subject matter is the whole of human life and culture, but he must, in his own way, bring the redeeming message of the gospel to everything with which he deals and thereby raise it from its state of degradation through sin to a higher level. The Christian artist, dramatist, must practice his art redemptively.